When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Live in the Bream with host of Fox News at Night, Shannon Bream. All right, this week on Live in the Bream, this is a thrill in many ways. And if you are familiar with our guest's work, you know what I mean by thrill. Um, he is an author who is behind the hit, The Terminal List. It, it flows from his very first book, which also flows from his service to our country as a Navy SEAL, SEAL sniper. Jack Carr, welcome to Live in the Brain. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to great to be on with you. And congratulations on Fox News Sunday and everything else you have going on. Number one, New York Times bestseller out there. And you've been busy. You've been extremely Yes, my busy. friend. Thank you so much, which is why I haven't finished the terminal list, but I'm going on vacation. And so I will finish it. I will, will say, I think I told you that my husband and I love it. It is so spellbinding. My brother's retired Navy as well. And a lot of military background um, like you, I appreciate so much your service to our country, but now this amazing gift you've given us in a world where we need this kind of entertainment that is, um, you know, thoughtful and probing and edge of your seat. Um, but I got to tell you after each episode, like I need therapy. I need help. I need a little bit of a palate cleanser. Um, it's so intense. Did you come at this first project and writing with all of your experiences and knowing this would be something so intense? Well, I did, but that's because I didn't really um, ha- had no other experiences from which to to gauge it. So it uh, for me, it was always uh, going to happen. I was always going to be an author after my time in the military. It was always going to uh, hit the number one bestseller list, and it was always going to be turned into a movie. And because when you grow up in the eighties, just you know, I love it. That, just kind of think that's what's going to happen, and I mm-hmm. never really had any doubts as far as that stuff went. But uh, as soon as I started writing this first one, and the first one I started writing during my final year in the military, because as people who have been in the military know, during your last year, your mission really becomes to get out of this gigantic <laughs> So you're going to medical and dental, and you're going to get read out of secret programs and turn in gear. And before you do any of those things, you're also standing in line to make your appointment to come back and do those things. Mm-hmm. So I had some time on my hands and I started started writing. And I took a, a title, a theme of revenge, a uh, one-page executive summary, which is how I've started all the books thus far, and then outline. And I turned that outline into the narrative. But up until that point where I started turning that outline into the narrative, I didn't realize how personal the writing experience was going to be. I thought, yeah, I'll get the weapons right and I'll get the tactics mm-hmm. right, that sort of a thing. But as soon as I started turning that outline into the actual story, into the narrative, uh, it became apparent immediately how personal this writing experience was going to be. And by that, I mean, going back to the feelings and emotions behind things that I was involved with in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then taking those feelings and emotions and applying them to a completely 
fictional narrative, but a lot of the times it reads like it's true because the feelings are coming right from my heart and soul. I didn't have to go out and track down a sniper from Ramadi in 2006 and then sit down with that person and ask them questions and then have those answers get filtered through other interviews I'd done or other books I'd read or movies I'd seen or preconceived notions I may have. Uh, all those feelings and emotions for the character come right from my heart. So directly onto the page. And I think that's what made it stand out to sign and Schuster and what made it stand out to readers. Um, and I'm forever grateful. Well, listen, I love that you kind of had this quiet confidence, I guess, like, of course, I'm going to write this book. And of course, it's going to be a seller. Of course, they're going to make a movie. Chris Pratt's going to star in it. Um, um, where do you think that came from? I know you like me grew up like, I don't want to entitle you what I call myself, which is a book nerd, but like always knows in a book, loved it, took me to all kinds of places and adventures around the world that my family couldn't afford to do these things. But I felt like I went there through books and had these experiences over time and space. And um, would you kind of categorize yourself that way? I mean, you say like you knew that writing was what you were going to end up doing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, my mom was and still is a librarian. So we grew up surrounded by books and this love of reading. Uh, I think it was my desire to serve was just innate. It was just with, within me. But uh, my grandfather was killed in World War II. So I also mm -hmm. grew up with his medals and his uh, Marine Corps aviation wings and you know, pictures of him and his squadron in the Pacific. And um, he flew the Corsair, which is the, the plane mm -hmm. that had the gold wings that would fold up. And back in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a show called The Black Sheep Squadron starring Robert Conrad on portraying Pappy mm -hmm. Boy. Of course, as a little kid, I'm identifying with with this. And that's my connection to that generation through the medium of popular culture, essentially. And my dad's for that matter, too, because back then his dad, he couldn't reach out to someone who was in his dad's squadron because there's no Facebook. How do you do that? As though, and he never met his dad. Um, but uh, there's no way to connect. And that show, for whatever reason, was our connection to that generation. Um, so I grew up with all of that, but at the same time, I'm reading, it's natural, as natural as going on a hike or sitting down to dinner together. Reading was just a natural part of our lives. And knowing that I wanted to join the military, finding out what SEALs were when I was seven years old, mm -hmm. doing research at the library with my mom about SEALs. And back then there wasn't much written in the early mid eighties. You could read all of it in about an hour. Um, but mm -hmm. at about age, 10 for sure by age 11, by sixth grade for sure. But uh, fifth grade, I started that transition uh, into reading the kind of books my parents were reading. And that's when Hunt for Red October came out. Mm -hmm. And for sure by sixth grade, I'm reading essentially the masters in the thriller genre of that time. And that's uh, Nelson DeMille and Tom Clancy mm -hmm. and AJ Quinnell and JC Pollock and Mark Olden and Stephen Hunter. And uh, I started reading all these books because most of the protagonists, most of the main characters had backgrounds that I wanted in real life one day. So mm -hmm. I figured... Oh, David Morrell created the character Rambo with 1972's First Blood. Well, he must know something about uh, this sort of thing. He must have done his research. Well, I'm going to read Brotherhood of the Rose and Fraternity of the Stone and League of Night and Fog and all these classics of the thriller genre. And in reading those books, I just realized that after my time in the military, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write books just like this. And what I didn't realize is that by doing all that reading in my formative years, and then continues to this day, obviously, uh, I was giving myself an early education in the art of storytelling 
from the masters in the exact genre in the field that one day I wanted to write in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had all that. And then my mom introduced me to uh, hero with a thousand faces, um, uh, Joseph Campbell's uh, hero with the uh, power of myth interviews with Bill Moyers in 1988. And uh, of course that influenced star Wars, which was very, uh, which made it stand out to me. And so I think everything I read or watched, I filtered through that hero's journey uh, of Joseph Campbell's heroes with a thousand faces. And so I think that was, very impactful. So I, if I'm looking back, I don't think I could have prepared myself better for what I would eventually do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm studying warfare at the same time, doing an academic study of warfare, terrorism, insurgencies, counterinsurgencies. Uh, the 1979 Iranian hostage crisis uh, was very uh, impactful uh, to me as a young kid, just seeing those black and white photos come on TV every night, seeing my parents watch Walter Cronkite. Um, of course, then 1983 Marine Be- Beirut um, uh, barracks bombing, like all these things that were on the cover of Time and Newsweek back then, on the cover of of newspapers that had anything to do with warfare, uh, stood out to me, and I would read. Uh, and then eventually went into the SEAL teams and had this experience in Iraq and Afghanistan. So all those things, reading the Masters, an academic study of warfare, and experiences downrange, all came together kind of at the right time and place as I was getting out and started writing my first novel. Yeah, it's like you have a passion for the books, for the reading, knowing that that is growing a seed in you of the writing and everything as well. Um, And then, of course, you have the real life experience that very few of us will ever have, which is being out there serving our country in deployments in very dangerous situations. Um, You talked about how these are fictional situations, but you use real life emotions. Did the writing feel therapeutic to you in transitioning out of the service? It really did. And I didn't think of it in those terms until I started writing. I didn't write for it to be therapeutic. It just ended up being therapeutic. And by that, I mean, I, I was very lucky downrange and that the decisions that I made under fire for whatever reason turned out okay. And I, I sleep very well at night. But when I think about things operationally, strategically, uh, think about our 20-year misadventure in Afghanistan, now seeing how that came to an end. Um, and I think about all the decisions that were made that really helped create this insurgency um, and these really senior level decisions that impacted, yeah, those senior levels a little bit, but mostly that person on the ground, that Marine, that Army E-1 who is standing at a gate, who is seeing a car approach that looks like it might be a little uh, off balance, or maybe the suspension's bad, or perhaps it's packed with explosives, knowing that two weeks earlier, another uh, checkpoint was blown up by a vehicle-borne uh, improvised explosive device, and he's 18 years old and standing there and now he has to make a decision. And so that's really the the last person in this chain of command that starts with the commander in chief and filters all the way down through all the admirals and generals, through all the mid-level leaders and ends up with this 18-year-old, 19-year-old person standing at a gate in Iraq or Afghanistan who has to make a decision. Um, so seeing these senior level decisions impact that person on the ground, um, for those of us who are, were downrange, I think it's it's going to be something that, that stays with us. And so by writing these books, it ended up being very therapeutic in that respect, in that I can explore some of those questions through the medium of popular fiction. And uh, and my protagonist, my main character, can also do something about it. Of course, I fictionalize all these things. But, uh, but that's where the feelings and emotions and a little bit of disdain, perhaps, for senior level military leaders and uh, politicians uh, comes into play. And I really get to, uh, to write about those things in a, in a fictional sense through these novels. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So you wrote knowing this would be a success or believing that it would be that it would be a TV show or a movie or whatever it would be. At what point when that starts to come together, do you think about Chris Pratt? He's become such a face for this thing. Is it do you have any say in the casting? Um, did you have a dream sort of of who your main characters would be? I did. And so I started writing this in December of 2014. I think that's when I first typed the the, the first word or the first, uh, not, not maybe not paragraph, but maybe that one page executive summary. So December 2014 timeframe. Um, so still had about a year left in the military at that time. And being a child of the 80s, it is very natural, at least for me, to think about who's going to star in this and then who's going to direct this. It just seemed very natural. And at the time, Chris Pratt had not done Guardians of the Galaxy, had not done Avengers, had uh, not done Jurassic World. He was in Parks and Rec. Oh, and, yes. Yes, Parks and Rec. <laughs> yep. And he had a very small role in Zero Dark Thirty about the Bin Laden raid. So I thought of this transformation from this guy playing in you know, an overweight, weight, kind of jolly guy who had this physical transformation into a SEAL operator for Zero Dark Thirty. And I thought, this is the guy. Um, and it's a very strange pick, especially back then. You'd pay, you naturally would assume someone would think of an actor who has played roles like this before. Mm-hmm. But I wanted someone who hadn't done these things before and someone who might need to do a role like this. And I thought of Tom Hanks back in the 80s doing all comedy up until early 90s with Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. he takes this risk. Uh, studio takes a risk on him. And from then on, he can do whatever he wants. But he's an inherently likable person on and off screen. And I thought, who's this generation's Tom Hanks? Who needs to do something darker? Who needs to show an audience that he has more range? Uh, and I thought, Chris Pratt's perfect. Uh, he also seems inherently likable on and off screen. And so I just continued typing. And then at the same time, I thought, who should direct this? And I thought, Antoine Fuqua. He's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Training Day and Tears of the Sun, all these things. I thought he's the perfect person to direct this. And I'm just typing away and I have no connection to Hollywood or publishing. Uh, then I get my publishing deal. And a few months before the book comes out, I get a call from an old SEAL buddy of mine who I hadn't talked to in five years. And he calls me and he says, do you remember me? And of course I say, yes. And uh, Uh, He says, do you remember what you did for me in the SEAL teams? And I did not. And he reminded me that, uh, uh, hey, you you sat me down in your office. You talked to me about transitioning out of the military when I told you I was getting out. Uh, You introduced me to people in the private sector. Then you followed up to see how things were going. No one else did that. And I always wanted to thank you. And I said, no problem. How's it going? And he said, "Uh, I heard you have a, a book coming out. And I said, I have yeah, it's coming out in about five months. I can send you a galley copy, a rough draft thing if you'd like. And uh, and he said, I'd like that, but I'd like to give it to to a friend of mine. And I said, yeah, no problem. Who's that? And he said, Chris Pratt. Come so on. Thought, uh, how convenient. <laughs> it's, uh, I thought of him playing this role. Mm-hmm. So I said it to my buddy, Jared Shaw, who plays Boozer in the series, is a producer in the series, um, and is a technical advisor on the series as well. Uh, he got it, read it, and gave it to Chris. Chris read it the last week in December of 2017 and called the first week in January of 2018 to option it before I'd uh, so- Wow. And at the same time, another SEAL buddy uh, gave a copy to Antoine Fuqua. 
he read it. Oh my goodness. Out right after Chris. And so then they called each other and said, let's do this together. And now all of us are executive producers on it and, uh, and friends. And it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy how it all worked out. Okay. So I'm a person of faith and I think nothing is coincidence, but I don't know for you, like, what does that say to you cosmically about the universe, all of those connections and how it worked? I don't know. I mean, I think you have to put it, we have to put in the work, obviously. That's what, uh, what's out more than anything else. Because if I had just this idea that one day I wanted to be a writer, but hadn't done all this reading, uh, mm-hmm. hadn't studied Joseph Campbell, hadn't studied warfare, um, maybe didn't join the SEAL teams. Uh, and then someone extends a hand and said, Hey, I heard you wanted to be a writer. Uh, let me open this door for you. But you hadn't done all the prep or any of the work. Well, guess what? You're not going anywhere. So, mm-hmm. uh, so you have to put in that work. So that stands out to me initially um, without putting in that foundation or building that foundation and then continuing to build that foundation. Uh, none of this. You got to be ready. Because yeah. there's so many people out there that, 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 that want to help, that want to extend that, that mm-hmm. hand. They're looking for something that adds value to their lives or other people's lives. And, uh, and if you're not ready, if you haven't done that preparation, then you're not going to get where you want to go. So that's kind of the, the common denominator. Like you mm-hmm. have to do that. You still might not get where you, where you want to go or where you dream of going, but you for sure will not if you don't put in right. that. So, uh, and then also a little, being a little naive probably didn't hurt either. <laughs> no, uh, I love that part of it. Like, yeah. this is going to be a huge success. My <laughs> first book, I have no, no doubt. <laughs> cause I think, uh, cause if I had maybe studied the industry or knew people in the industry who constantly were telling me how hard it is to get something published or made into a film, well, that's taking a bandwidth that isn't then going into the books. It isn't mm-hmm. making that product the best it can possibly be. So I had none of that. I had no, I had, uh, there was, there was no doubt because I was just, I guess, naive about the whole process. Um, but I knew that I had to have the best book possible. And with each and every book, then it has to get better. Every mm-hmm. has to get better. That's obviously the goal as I, as I move forward and uh, refine my craft. Uh, that's what I owe the people who are taking a risk on me because also people are risking, well, they're spending time they're never going to get back, whether they're following me on Instagram or, or Twitter or signed up for my newsletter, or if they're reading the book or listening to the book now or mm-hmm. watching the show, that's time they're never going to get back. And so that's something I think about each and every day, whether I'm writing an Instagram post or writing a chapter in the book or a sentence in the book or sending a one sentence tweet, all of that gets the same amount of attention because someone's trusted me with their time. And that's something I take very seriously. They're never getting that back. And we don't know if uh, we have 10 minutes or 10 years Mm or you just don't know, but that time is, is finite and you get to choose how you're going to spend it. And people have trusted me with that. So Mm -hmm. something I, I take very seriously. Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, putting in the work, a lot of times people will see something and say like, Oh, overnight sensation. But everybody who's behind that knows like, no, no, there was a lot of time that went into that. And it prepares you for this gauntlet now that you're running, um, which has probably, I'm sure, so many unexpected highs, but maybe some challenges too that you don't know before you get in. And I do love your point about not knowing everything because I do think it can suck sort of some of the wind out of your dreams or like you say, distract energy from what you're trying to get done. Now, I have to ask you because I'm looking at you and I see your bookcases behind you and I see some jars. Or is that bourbon? Are you a bourbon guy? What's going on back there? I am. So these are veteran-owned uh, whiskey companies and Horse Soldier Bourbon up there. And they're someone layered. sent me that last oh, week. Nice. A, a veteran, nice. yes, yes. They're really good. And I thought I recognized it. The label up there is made with World Trade Center steel. And oh, wow. uh, I started this company. They are some of the first into Afghanistan with fifth mm-hmm. special group after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's those guys up there. And this is Hooten Young right here, Delta Force operator, uh, Norm Hooten, who uh, is portrayed by Eric Bana in Black Hawk Down. So okay. that's... 
two better known whiskey companies right there. And uh, the library is actually inside with all the books because I think I have each and every book from about maybe third grade on. And so that's all in the I love house. a bookcase. I yes. love it. Okay. So we love that you have veteran owned um, whiskeys and bourbons happen in there as well. Now you sound like you love the eighties as much as I do. I do. You've got a real psychotic fondness for the eighties. There was just, I, it was childhood. It was, there were so many good things that were happening. I'm sure, you know, as you talk about the awareness, I remember the awareness of the Iran um, hostage crisis and the Beirut bombings and the things that happened, but it was still your kid. I mean, you're still like you and I both living through books and having all these adventures, but I have to ask you about eighties music. Do you have any favorites there? I do. I kind of, I mean, gosh, I hope I shouldn't, I shouldn't admit to this, but uh, what a great time to grow up. Uh, and the hair bands of the eighties. Oh yeah. And when those come on today, my wife and I just love it. It takes us right back. I know. And, uh, you know, so all those bands, we, we often talk about it probably more than we should. We try not to talk about it in front of the kids too much because <laughs> we don't want it to seem like uh, we grew up in the best time and, you know, we didn't want them to. But so we anyway. did. We did, but, but we did. Uh, if I could get in that hot tub time machine, it would be nice. <laughs> you I totally do it. I would. I would one hundred percent do that, and I think nineteen eighty five would be the year. Oh, uh, that was a good one. Films coming out. It's right there in the middle of the decade. Um, America's prominence, obviously, we're on the on the rise. There's so many wonderful things happening. Only opportunity ahead, and uh, it was such a formative time in my life. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I did love all those bands. Of course. I, yes, I. We went to see Def Leppard. I dragged my husband. Nice. Um, yeah not that many years ago. And I was like, we are total weirdo nerds. And then I looked around and I'm like, everybody's as old as us. They were fantastic though. Can I say um, some of these old groups are still kicking it. So listen, when they refer to our music now as oldies, I, it hurts a little bit. It stings a little bit, but I'm not going to disavow it because it really is such a great um, decade in so many different ways. And I love that it's spurred your confidence in your dreams and your passions that you're now gifting the rest of us with. Um, tell us a little bit about the newer book is In the Blood. Yes. Yes. That's a sniper centric novel of violent resolutions. That's how I, how I, uh, <laughs> it sounds perfect for my husband. Oh, great. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> each one of the books I have about like a one at first, I thought it was going to be a one word because mm -hmm. I misinterpreted something that Stephen Pressfield said on a podcast. He wrote Gates of Fire and Legend of Bagger Man. Mm -hmm amazing guy. And I thought he said that he wrote his theme for his novels on in one word on a yellow sticky and put it by his typewriter. Oh, and so that's okay. what I did. But he was really, and now that I go back and listen to it, now that we're friends, he was talking about a playwright who would write a few sentences on mm. the, his play and have it next to a typewriter. Um, so now my one sentence or my one word has morphed into a sentence or two. But that first one was all about revenge without constraint. Next one is a tale of of of, uh, uh, of violent redemption is how I how I term okay. that. To live again, he needs to find his next mission in life, kind of like people leaving the military or going through any transition in life, really. Um, the third one, Savage Son, is really a throwback in my tribute. And it's the one I wanted to write first, but I knew I had to come out of the gate. The characters weren't quite ready for what I was going to explore in my third novel, mm. which is uh, based really or inspired by Most Dangerous Game, which is a short story that a lot of us read in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really, it's written in 1923. Uh, and, and so that, I always wanted to write a tribute to that story, even back in sixth grade. So that 
this novel was uh, that one. But this latest one, even though it was a sniper-centric novel, I didn't want to write something that would be reminiscent of things that were written before, where you have two snipers in opposite buildings or on hillsides, and they're looking for each other at the last second, and then they fire at the similar times. And that's been done quite a bit. So I had to figure out how to write a sniper-centric novel without that. But as I started writing, the new theme emerged, and that theme was forgiveness. And I didn't expect that when I started, but when I got to chapter three, which is three or four, um, but it's probably my favorite chapter that I've ever written. And it's not a gunfight or a knife fight or anybody jumping out of planes or anything like that. It's uh, it's the matriarch of one of the families in my, my story, sitting down to talk with my main character, James Reese. And it's just a conversation between generations and the passing on of wisdom. And she passes on this, um, this theme of forgiveness that then weaves its way through the rest of the novel all the way to the end. So I didn't expect that when I started. I thought the theme was going to be, uh, you know, have, have right and left limits focused on this sniper uh, weapon system and this sniper engagement. But instead, this theme of forgiveness arose and the power of forgiveness, which is something that I found in my own life to be quite powerful. And uh, one of the most powerful things we can do is uh, forgive and and uh, and move on and live a life that our children can be proud of. Yeah. And it's it's a gift to everybody involved in whatever that situation is, but to us too, that we can move forward. Okay. Before we let you go, we got to find out what do you do for fun? Oh my goodness. Do you have any time? I know it's crazy these days with podcasts and writing books and all the show and all this stuff. Um, but three children, so it's juggling them uh, and getting them to lacrosse practice or tennis or whatever it might be. Um, so the quote unquote fun, uh, I guess every now and again, I'll disappear into the back country on a, on a hunt. So, uh, so I do do that, but that's more of like a life. Uh, just putting food on the table for the family and bringing the mm-hmm. kids along. I enjoy doing that more than anything else, just to teach them this responsibility and self-reliance and, mm-hmm. uh, and just spend some time away from the devices, which is harder. Very and harder. good. Yeah. yeah it's hard for all of us. Really okay. Do you guys eat everything? Do you like venison, elk, all of it? Yeah. Moose, elk, uh, whitetail, mule deer, axis deer. Those are kind of the, the staples, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to escape up to uh, maybe British Columbia, although with COVID, that wasn't possible the last couple of years. But uh, get up there after some halibut and salmon. So mm-hmm. uh, then we get to sit down together and relive the experience of and, and the kids are involved in that process, mm-hmm. I think. Today, we're so removed from where this food comes from and how much work it takes to bring it to the table that we don't appreciate it when we go to the grocery store and pull something mm-hmm. off the shelf and then bring it home. Um, so very, very s- small portion of human history have we been able to go to a grocery store or been able to That's call true. 911 if we need some sort of assistance. Um, so being able to bring the kids in to that cycle and then talk about, oh, remember on when we were on this hunt and now you guys have provided for our family. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, uh, that's powerful as well. It is. Self-reliance is a gift and a skill to be honed and learned. Okay. Uh, lover of the 1980s, but Renaissance man of 2022. Jack Carr, thank you for making time to hang out with us on Live in the Bream. Can't wait to see all that you have uh, in the pipeline and to come. Oh, thank you so much. And congratulations all on everything that you have going on as well. And I uh, sincerely appreciate you being out there each and every day and all that you do. Thank you. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.